This is A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends, a podcast ministry of Somebody Cares America, being a tangible expression of Christ in a hurting world. I was thinking about as I republished an article that I wrote a few years ago about an Asian American who was the first missionary sent from the North American Missions Board out of Waco to Japan after World War II. And in the article I called it, and this will be kind of the direction of the message this morning, is an unlikely spark for revival. Our offices in Houston, Texas received the following email. Pastor Doug, I know you have connections for people all over. My half-sister notified me that trees have fallen on her mother's house and left a gaping hole in the roof. Her mother is 81 years old and cares for her other daughter who is 62 and disabled. I'm trying to find someone who can fix the roof. They live in Birmingham, Alabama. We read the email and quickly reached out to the Somebody Cares Network. Within moments, we had a connection. A roofing company in Birmingham was willing to assess the situation and make the needed repairs. Somebody Cares is a net that works. We need people like you to help so that we can continue to serve others. If you'd like to join us, visit somebodycares.org, or you can text your donation amount to 805-422-7348. That's 805-4CARE48. And how many know that, as we all know too well, that a simple spark, a small spark can begin a forest fire, but also God can take the unlikeliest of individuals to spark a nationwide revival. I see across this sanctuary today a lot of sparks. And a vision I had in the early 1980s out of a, in a Christmas store of all places that was getting ready to close up for the season. And I was standing there with a group of leaders from different ministries from back then, Agape Force and YWAM and, and other organizations and ministries. And we're standing there. And the Lord just began to give me, back then we didn't have download computers, but I had this kind of a download, you know. And, but I was kind of getting this, this vision of the Lord. And if you're not charismatic, it was an impression. If you're charismatic, it was a full-on vision, okay? <laughs> but, but I was standing there, and I was just overwhelmed. I was a young guy in my 20s. I was just overwhelmed with this vision. And I saw all these flickers of flames all across greater Houston. And in that moment, I saw something happened. I couldn't see the wind, but I saw what happened with the wind, and this wind came across all these little flickers of flames. And I saw that as individuals and congregations and, and prayer meetings and people that were calling out for God, God, do it again. Bring a revival. Bring a revival. And I began to sense this in my spirit that all across greater Houston were these flickers of flames. And later I began to see flickers of flames all over the nation. And then soon I saw this wind come across the city. Now, I didn't see the wind, but I saw the results of the wind because it took all those flickers of flames, all those sparks, and it turned into one huge fire. And that fire then began to have embers that went to the nations of the world. 
And I realized this was God's call for a spiritual move of the Holy Spirit, the wind of God, to blow upon all those seemingly unlikely sparks, those small prayer meetings or or congregations crying out, the unlikeliest of individuals and congregations that were just out there crying out to God. And God then did a divine move where he did what only he can do and breathed upon the the cries of the people and turned into a huge fire of revival that touched the nations of the world. You know, in 1857, and I've shared this before, but I want to talk about these unlikely sparks. In 1857, during a time of about 32, 33 million people in America at the time, we have way more than 10 times that many people now. So talk about the magnitude and, and how it's, it's, it's just multiplied. But at that time in, in America, United States of America was about 32, 33 million people. There was juvenile delinquency. There was rumors of national tension. There was underlying was racism. Underlying was all these different things. There was a, the North and the South. In fact, just a few years later, in 1861, the Civil War happened. So in the midst of all this tension, Jeremiah Lamphere, a, a businessman and lay minister, realized the only answer was not what man could do, not with all of our good intentions, but we needed God's intervention, the breath of his wind to come across at the time. And so in 1857, he called for a prayer meeting in New York City, a noontime prayer meeting. First 30 minutes, only two or three or four people showed up. Can you imagine how discouraging that could be? But this unlikely spark, this individual said, God, I know our only hope is to pray. Not pray out of some sort of shallow platitude or religious incantation, not somewhere out of some religious kind of thing. He knew we were desperate. Just like my spiritual grandfather, Leonard Ravenhill, used to say, God doesn't answer prayer. He answers desperate prayer. And in that moment, when Jeremiah Lamphere called that meeting, nobody showed up, just three or four people in the first 30 minutes, and then a few more people by the end of that noontime prayer meeting to give up that lunchtime, because I guess people didn't want to give lunchtime to pray. But out of desperation, he didn't move by what he saw and who didn't respond. He knew he had a God bigger than the circumstance. He wasn't called to call the crowds. He was called to do what God said to do, and the crowds would later come. He had no idea what that little simple spark of obedience did. Within six months, 10 1,000 people per day just in New York City were willing to give up their noontime lunch to go somewhere in the city to cry out to God for prayer and for God's intervention. That became known as the businessman's uh, revival, became known as the, the, the Fulton Street revival, became known for different things. But the reality is there's one person who just said, God, the only hope is you. An unlikely spark of revival, but look what God did. And we all look at the revival, we forget that it was a precursor to the Civil War. In 1904, the son of a Presbyterian minister from Illinois went to India, to the Punjab region, which is now modern-day Pakistan and parts of India, the Punjab region, and he believed and cried out and cried out for God to do something. And in 1904, they started what was called the Punjab Prayer Union. And they determined to pray five primary things every day till revival came and later became known as the Sailcott Revivals. 
Many of you might have heard of him. His name was Praying John Hyde. And as the story goes, that he was so into fasting, so into praying for the beautiful people of India and the Punjab region and crying out to God that literally when he died, his, his heart had shifted from this part of his rib cage over to the other when he died. He was crying out out of desperation. He didn't get to see the fullness, this unlikely spark, a son of a Presbyterian minister, an unlikely spark, but God used him and that prayer and that Punjab prayer union to literally affect nations of the world to this day. He may not have seen the fullness of it, but he simply obeyed as that spark of God. Two of our governors who came from the Punjab region, their family comes from the Punjab region, former Governor Haley, Governor Jindal, their families come from that re region. So that means the prayers that were prayed back then were still bombarding heaven for when they came to know Jesus Christ. Prayers never fall to the ground. you know that? Sound waves never fall to the ground. Praying mamas. God's hearing those prayers bombard heaven every day. Every time you pray, it keeps on going like the persistent widow. It keeps coming before God. So in 1904, you have the Punjab prayer and became the sale cut revivals. Around that same time, in Houston, Texas, Daddy Seymour comes from Topeka, Kansas, to follow one of his mentors. Comes here, gets called by a Baptist church in Azusa area, in, in Azusa, what became known as the Azusa Street Mission. He went from here, went to California, which is now little Tokyo, is where the Azusa Street Mission is. <laughs> Told you there has some Asian roots, Asian invasion, I'm telling you. And look at every major charismatic Pentecostal movement has come from the roots of what took place in the early 1900s in a place called Azusa Street Mission. And prior to that, the Bonnie Bray House. Through a one-eyed African-American, unlikely spark for revival. And God used him in the midst of the tension of the, coming out of the Civil War region, coming out into the, before World War I, the tension of the times, again, the racism, the tension, the national polarization, and global conflict, and God called a one-eyed African-American man to spark a revival that Christian History Magazine said, a hundred years after, Christian History Magazine is not a charismatic magazine, but they said of that revival, it was the most influential move of God that has impacted the church in 100 years. Unlikely spark of revival. Look at next, somebody next to you. You may think that you don't have much, but you're an, uh, we are all unlikely sparks. But a simple obedience to God, a desperate heart for God, and a cry for God to be a literal dwelling place for his presence, that God can do something great through us. Around the same time, with the global tensions before World War I, there was a thing called the Welsh Revivals. Evans Roberts, a young man, just realized we need to pray. And a handful of young people, unlikely sparks, they weren't the, the pontificators, they weren't the seminarians, they weren't the professors. They were just a bunch of young people who said, God, we need you to show up. And God poured out what we call the Welsh Revivals. And that was just before World War I. A hundred years before Ed Evans Roberts and the Welsh Revival was another Welsh Revival that you don't hear a lot about. 
But a hundred years, another person named Edward Irving, another young man, also a hundred years before the Welsh revivals in the early 1800s, began with a bunch of young people crying. And there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that some call the forerunner to the Pentecostal movement. So a hundred years before Azusa, hundred years before the Welsh revivals, hundred years from all these things, there was already God was trying to kickstart something to looking for unexpected sparks that he could blow upon and create a fire of revival. If God can do it then, can he do it again? I wrote this down the other day. Throughout history, there are reports of great awakenings and revivals. Revivals of the past began with a deep hunger and desire for prayer and intimacy with God. It began with a deep hunger and desire for prayer and intimacy with God. Don't miss the moment of what God may be up to. And look at beyond what you see And let's open our spiritual eyes for a moment. And the rumblings from all the fracking that is taking place in this well. And how the nations have been benefiting through your simple obedience, your prayers, your giving of your time, giving of your your giftings. Think about all the beneficiaries that are creating more than a spark, but God's blowing on them. And you're going to begin to see the fruit of your sacrifice. Now, when I say sacrifice, because it's not really a sacrifice, it's a privilege to serve God. But if God could do it 200-something years ago and 100-something years ago, and God could do it again in, in, the, in, the, in the latter rain movement in the 1940s and 50s, if God can do it do it do the Jesus movement, we're ripe for something now. Now, let me tell you this. In 1945... Right after World War II, but during World War II, there was an individual named Rei Hoshizaki. Now, his real name is Reiji Hoshizaki-san. Hey, Hoshizaki-san. Sensei Hoshizaki. When I first met him, I had no clue. But during World War II, during the interim camps where many Japanese-Americans and, and other Asians were put into interim camps, their property taken from them, and they were put in these camps. During that time, they allowed him to stay as a student at Baylor University. Somehow, they allowed him to stay. But during that time, he and a group of others were on fire for God. And he says, we need to have some revival services. All of these other leaders says, then you need to lead. He goes, I can't lead it. I'm the Asian dude here. We're in the middle of World War II. He was an unlikely spark. But they said, no, you need to help lead this. It's been written by in the Baptist Standard, been written by in books on the wings of, 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 um, of God. It's about how there was this move of God that was primarily sparked by one individual who was unlikely 
to be the one chosen that God would use because, one, he was humble, and, and he was one who had a passion for God. He was one who was desperate for God. And what happened was soon thousands of people, young people, would gather in the fields of Waco near Baylor, and they would begin to have marches and peace marches and walk together. And then revival began to break loose. And from Baylor University, a move of God began to happen where these same young people were invited to go to other university campuses to bring what God was doing there, a campus revival broke loose in the midst of the most difficult of times and the most unexpected sparks, the unlikeliest of sparks for revival. Hoshizaki-san was the first missionary sent by the North American Missions Board to Japan. When I was visiting with his widow at the time, who's now gone to be with the Lord, they had become friends of the family, friends with my mother who's passed and so on. Lisa and Ashley were with me. I was with his widow in, in an assisted living place, and we were talking, reminiscing, and she was telling us how her own children who had gone through Baylor did not know of the history of what their dad was a part of, the revivals that broke loose, and he was a proponent. In fact, the founder of HEB, Grocers was a part of that revival. Federal judges, business leaders that are today, they were all the beneficiaries of that revival. So we don't necessarily see the moment, but it's a deep well. And you fast forward to a few years ago, I was asked to come to Baylor University when they were going to dedicate uh, the new athletic stadium, football stadium, to Drayton McLean who's on the board of trustees. They named it after him, the former owner of the Houston Astros. A friend of mine, Romero Pena, said, Doug, uh, they're asking us to put this together, but he doesn't want to go just to dedicate it. He wants to be dedicated to the Lord. So Dr. Tony Evans was the primary keynote speaker. I was one of the speakers. They want me to share the history of revival's past with an expectation of revival future. How many know God is a generational God? God's not just into talking about the stories of yesteryear. He wants us to glean from that, to bring it to the present, so we have an expectation for the future. So they didn't even know until it was required reading at Baylor about, and as they began to read about the revivals, and required reading about this book about those revivals, wait a minute, they're saying, Ray Hoshi's, is that our dad? He was so humble he never made an issue about himself. His kids grew up that whole time not realizing the depth and the breadth and the dynamic of him being that unlikely spark that created a move of God in the day and the same time being sent to Japan and all that he did to pioneer in Japan and to come back and to retire in Waco and yet his own kids didn't understand how, what a legend their dad really was. Right, Ashley? I got to tell you this. So Ashley's working on her second and third album, and she was meeting with a really well-known producer who wants to, wanted to meet with her to, to do some of her songs and with her. And he goes, can I ask you a question? Uh, Stringer, is that any relation to Doug Stringer? She goes, yeah, that's my dad. He goes, wow, Doug Stringer, he's a legend. <laughs> and so for about two days, I was cool with my daughter, right? <laughs> Could you... Be that unexpected spark. Could I and you together 
be those little flickers of flames that God can breathe on. This is what the Lord showed me in 1986, 87, 88 that became later Church Quake in one of my early books in 1990. And now in the context of this shortened version, I have the full version in our magazine, but in the Charisma magazine, here's three things I believe God was saying to the church. I was reminded of Hebrews 12, 25 through 29, which talks about a shaking so intense that only those that cannot, those things that cannot be shaken, those things built solidly upon the foundation of Christ's character and word would be left standing. The purpose of this shaking is to purify and mold us and to cause us to see things from God's eternal perspective. God so desires that not one perish that he goes to great lengths to get all of our attention. Here's what the Lord showed me, these three things that's going to take place during the shaking. I thought it was for then, but in retrospect, I realized it's happened in pockets, but we're coming into a moment that the world might be shaken, but we will not be shaken if we keep our eyes fixed because God wants to do something for us to expand the kingdom in the midst of what seems impossible. One, he will bring his sheep and shepherds into alignment except for those who reject his call. God will not force himself upon us. I used, I used to have a T-shirt that we did on tie-dye, you know, the hippie kind of stuff. It was kind of cool, though, you know. And um, is tie-dye back yet? No, well. I used to say on this tie-dye, it said, God is not looking for clones of modern-day Christianity, but imitators of Christ. See, God doesn't want us going, I love you, God, because I have to. I love you, God, because I get something. I love you, God, a sugar daddy in the sky. I love you, daddy. I love you. <laughs> I love him just because, because, because of who he is and what he's already done. Now, there's a lot of benefits for those who seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things are added to you. But that's not why I do it. I love him. I adore him. I appreciate him. I honor him just because, 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 because of who he is and what he's already done. But some begin to believe their own press. They're enamored with their own celebrity creating rock stars. But God is saying this, I'm going to bring my sheep and shepherds alike into alignment except for those who reject my call. In other words, who are unwilling to humble themselves. The shepherds who have been off track will be shaken and brought back through the Lord's merciful and loving hand. But many will go down a slippery slope because of their own belief and their own press. Flattery is a dangerous thing. Second thing that would happen, any mountains or obstacles standing in the way of the gospel presentation will be moved aside if, if there is not a place of true repentance and change. Any fig trees that fail to produce true fruit will be removed unless they become productive again. Years ago, I was asked to write an article on missed opportunities for Billy Graham's magazine, Decision Magazine. And... There is, remember when Jesus and the disciples were walking by and he noticed afar off a fig tree? And when he got there, he cursed it because it was not bearing fruit. But it says it was not bearing fruit because it wasn't the season for figs. Well, why would God, why would Jesus curse a fig tree that's not supposed to be producing figs yet? 
Well, it's because he noticed, there's something you can notice about a fig tree out of season, even out of season, that an edible nodule called a taksh. And that nodule begins to grow on an out-of-season fig tree, so you could tell it will bear figs. But this must not have had any nodules because it's even edible out of season. So that fig tree should have been something nutritional for them in their journey, even out of season, without the figs fully growing. But the nodules called the taksh. So Jesus knew that particular fig tree would never bear fruit. It's cosmetic in appearance, but taking up ground. And it was right after that that Jesus went in and turned over the tables of the money changers. So there was a correlation because immediately after he turns over the money changers, those who were abusing their place of leadership in the name of, because see, they were overcharging people to buy items they had to buy because it was required to purchase certain items to bring sacrifice into the temple. So then, because they had to get those, it's kind of like after Hurricane Harvey, how many of these uh, corrupted contractors came in and jacked up their prices? How many tow truck drivers who normally charge $40 or $50 now charging $100 to tow you? That's what Jesus was upset about. That everyone had to use what these guys were selling, but they were misusing the place of requirement for the people to come honor God by jacking up the price. So he curses the fig tree. He comes and turns over the money tables. He comes back, and that's when the disciples notice the fig tree was withered up. I'm sure they were confused. Like, why would he do that? The context was curse what is fruitless because it will never bear fruit. Turn over the money changers because that will not bear fruit. It won't come bear fruit by, by misappropriating the place of stewardship for God's people. So what God is saying here is, look, look, anything that's in the way of the pure gospel will be moved aside. But God gives us time to repent so we can produce again. Another scripture verse about the fig tree, that Jesus even tells a story of saying the land, the, the person tending to the land says, can you give it some extra time to see if it will bear fruit? God's grace is so awesome. Jesus is interceding for us. Saying, can you give them some more time? Maybe they're not bearing fruit now, but can you, can you let me give my life for them? Can I, while they're still yet in their sin, can I die for them? Can I go and show them what real love is and what redemption is and what forgiveness is and what grace is? And can you, can you do that? Can you let me go take care of some business and give myself as a ransom for all? Jesus was actually so kind and gracious. He was buying time for us to have the lights turned on. But we're coming into a season where that we've been given so many opportunities, especially in the West, in our linear thinking, Western linear thinking, we've given so much, so much, so much, and yet we continue to turn away from such great a salvation. And the third thing the Lord said, the reign of the Holy Spirit will fall on those who, while perhaps feeling forsaken and even weary in well-doing, but nevertheless have persevered through God's refining fire. Those who have sought to serve the Lord with sincerity and integrity, fighting the good fight with the love for God's people, will begin to receive the abundant resources necessary to take and propagate the gospel of good news. Many of us who have become discouraged along the way, 
we begin to get this sense of fixing our eyes on the Lord and that God's up to something. We've been that spark, unlikely sparks, but God's wind is about to be poured out. The decisions we make every day determine the future. Keep our eyes fixed on the one and only Jesus, by which every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's still on the throne. And he's going to blow his Holy Spirit upon us. Keep being that flicker. Keep being that spark. And stories pass time after time after time that in the midst of the most difficult of circumstances, God can use an unlikely spark to start a fire for revival and change the course of a nation. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.